Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mind, mood and mental health. In this episode, I interview best-selling author, social psychologist and podcast host, Dr. Amy Johnson, on how we can find true and lasting freedom from unwanted habits via insight rather than willpower. Dr. Amy and I discuss some of the most common mistakes people fall into when trying to change a bad habit or build a healthy new habit. Also, why are some people so afraid of change and how a friend, parent or partner can help someone who's trying to change or overcome an addiction, start a new healthy habit and so on without enabling or taking on the burden and doing all the work. Before we begin, I want to tell you about something I am so excited about. You can now pre-order my new book, 101 Ways to Be Less Stressed. This book is packed with simple self-care strategies to help boost your mind, mood, and mental health. Right now, when you pre-order, you can get 20% off. This book is a great gift for holidays and birthdays or simply just for yourself. Just go to drleaf.com for more details and to order. The link will also be in the show notes. If you enjoy my podcast and want to know how you can help me continue making them possible, please consider subscribing wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review. And please continue sharing this podcast with friends, family, and on social media. And now on to today's interview. Dr. Amy Johnson, what an honor to have you in the studio with me today. I'm really excited about our discussion. You're in my wheelhouse. I mean, when you talk about the mind and the non-conscious mind and neuroplasticity and the spiritual neuroscience connection, this is what I've been researching for 38 years. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it too. I love, you know, finding people that have that intersection. So this is going to be great. I know and getting into those deep things and just into the things like wisdom and the non-conscious world. And it's just great. It's just wonderful. I, I love it. So first of all, before we start, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what motivates you and something that's not in your bio. Yeah. So I'm from Michigan in the Midwest. I grew up fascinated with psychology from the time I was really, really little, always writing stories about how people thought and where their inner worlds came from. And as is true, I think for a lot of people, that's still what I do. (laughs) So I can look back to what I was doing at like, you know, four and five and six. Love it. That's what I do now, which is pretty amazing. Oh, I love that. So it's always been a passion of yours to be be fascinated with the mind. And you also understand the 
concept of thought very well. I noticed that with your work. And that's something that I've spent a lot of time in my work doing clinical trials for the last 38 years. And I've always found thought people battle to understand what it is. And you really got into that. So can before we dive in deeper, just tell us how you see thought and how important that is in terms of habits and breaking habits and so on. Yeah. So to me, I think of thought as our ability to have experience. Love it's it. like everything. I mean, it's super, I know you, you get it, but like for yeah. most people thought, you know, is dialogue or it's cognitive only, or it's those little sentences. Or it's memory. Of. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's, it's cognitive, but it's also bigger. It's conscious, but it's way bigger than conscious. Yeah. I think it's all experience comes via this power of what I would call thought. Love it. I absolutely love that definition. Thoughts are real and they're deep and they've got so many elements to them. So fantastic. Okay. So now with that in mind, you've faced some major obstacles in your life and you've got quite a story and you've used your story to teach a lot of people how, or help a lot of people with breaking habits without willpower, which I think is a very interesting concept that you've helping people see it from a different angle. So can you talk about your, the obstacle that you went through and how this has helped you to do what you do today? I had many obstacles, but the biggest, you know, I, I had a lot of anxiety when I was younger and now I see it as all the same thing. But at some point, my panic attacks, my anxiety, my constant worry, it took the shape of eating disorder. Like I said, now it all looks like just a different facet of thought, basically. Thought was showing up in one way that we call yeah. anxiety yeah. And, and thought started showing up in another way. And I started trying to cope with it in a way that created this thing that we call an eating disorder. So after I was a psychologist, as I was working with people for eight years off and on, but mostly on, I battled with bulimia and binge eating. And, mm. you know, it was, it was horrible in part because, you know, dealing with those things are horrible, but mostly because I lived with this feeling of being a fraud knowing I was helping the people I was working with to mm. some extent, but then why couldn't I help myself? And, you know, like all yeah. of that. So, a lot of conflict there. That's the trauma of like, you felt almost like, how can I sit and help you if I can't even help myself? But that in itself is very deep, isn't it? Just that experience alone. It is because we can help other people even exactly. when we can't help ourselves because yes. I just... What I was sharing was true and I could see it in them, but you know what I mean? But like, I just, I just, it just didn't land when it came to me, which is really, you're right. That's really deep and really huge because yeah. we're all exactly the same. Now I see more clearly, I still can't always see my own issues for myself so well, but you know, like now I know, deeply know that we're all the same. Mm -hmm. So anything that's true of one person has that potential to be true or is true, deeply true of yeah. everyone. You know, we just, it's more about what we see or what we don't see in any given moment. So for me, for eight years, I didn't see any of this as it related to me, but I could yeah. really, really truthfully sit in front of someone else and say, you know, you're made of health. Like your experience is always changing, but it was just kind of words and cliche when it came to me. So, yeah, so I worked Sorry, just wanted to ask you this, but when you sought for them, it was so you you felt that so strongly that that was the truth for them, and you felt a desire to convey that to them. Is that correct? Like such a strong desire, so you could see it for them so clearly, but you couldn't see it for yourself. And I'm emphasizing that because that's such a common thing that people go through. And you're going to give us how you got a breakthrough, which is what I'm excited about. Yeah, it is, and it's interesting now, like just the to kind of pull that out and look at it too. The fact that I could even see it so clearly for them. 
I did deeply know it. Do you know what I mean? It, like, I do. I, it has to be true for us. Anything we yes. see for others has to be true for yes. us as well. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So at the time, though, I didn't realize that. I didn't see it in any way that was helpful. So I would advise other people in a direction. I would see their health, but then I would just go to work on myself. And it, and I mean work. <laughs> like, you know, the more diligent and the more discipline. And I was always as I think many people do, just trying to manipulate, like pull the right lever so that everything would go away and so that I would feel better. Like not realizing that it's so much deeper than that, but it was Mm -hmm. like, if I could just get my thinking right, my mantras and conscious thinking, if I could just have the right diet, if I could just have the, maybe it's my relationship, maybe it's unfulfillment over here. Mm -hmm. It was like that giant... If only... Oh my gosh. And the whole box of like psychology that says, oh, there are all these big hidden big, you know, things. You better find the right problem because it could be any of those lurking. Oh, scary. It's almost scary when you say it like that. It's quite, it's scary. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anyone explicitly told me that, but that's the impression I got from my psychological training, from therapists I was going to. It's like, wow, this is complex. It's deep, it's complicated, which is very scary because then you're like, man, I sure hope I, I get the right thing. Otherwise, I'm going to live with this forever. Yeah, it feels hopeless. And you even say that in your book that how, and I mean, I know this from my experience working as a clinician for 25 years as well. And just from my research, you get told an eating disorder is always going to be with you. You know, you get told you get this thing. It's always who you are, but it's not. Anything that goes against, and I know you're very pro the, and we're going to talk about that, about the, our, na- our nature being, I call it wired for love. You talk about us being, I think your actual comment that you make, where do you make, you talk about, what do you actually say? You say, there's no such thing as a mean or evil person. I mean, you say they are just people, always healthy, always pure, always full of love and connection at their core. I love that. That's what I've been saying for years. And it's like, wow, another person really gets that. And, and you, you come from that point of view, which is beautiful. So before I saw that though, <laughs> it didn't look like that, right? No. It looked like, no, all these problems, you have to fix the right one in the right order and all of that. So I exhausted myself for eight wow. years, just doing everything. I mean, and I mean, everything from heavy therapy to energy work to anything you can imagine. Mm. And with each thing, and I see this, I'm sure you do as well with the people I work with. I love to work with people who have tried everything and nothing has worked because I know what that feels like where with each thing that you try that doesn't work, you get your hopes up, you put, you pin it all on that outside thing as if it can save you, right? Mm. You think this will be the diet. This will be the therapist that'll save me. This will be the thing. Mm. And when it's not, you feel so much worse and more hopeless than before Mm. you even tried it. So good. Yes. And I love I mean, I don't love that people go through that, but I love finding those people that are feeling that way because we get to tell them, no, it's not that you are broken. It's that all those things that you tried to have fix you cannot possibly fix you. Mm. It's really good news, you know, and someone's feeling so defeated and you get to say to them, no, it's, it's not you. It's all those methods. Those were never meant to fix you because you don't need fixing the way you think you do. I love that. That is so freeing. I, I just absolutely support 100% what you're saying and totally agree. So I did all those things. Nothing worked. I felt more and more hopeless. And then I, I came across an understanding that 
was both scientific and which I loved because I was all about the brain and spiritual, which I have always been really open to and really just kind of, kind of melded them together. So initially it was very brain-based and it was some of the things I initially saw were things like, like some of the insights I had about the brain was, oh, my brain just demands food and then starving and then all the stuff my brain demands because it's a machine and I've kind of taught it to do that. <laughs> Not on purpose, but by yeah. my attention, by my behavior, mm-hmm. I've just conditioned this, this poor little machine in my head mm-hmm. to do exactly what it's doing. And that alone, that's just a brain insight, but that alone was huge for me because yeah. what it did was it stopped me from thinking that my brain was broken, that there was something wrong and it gave me so mm-hmm. much compassion. And I got to see, mm-hmm. wow, my brain does work. I've just been misunderstanding its messages and what it's doing. That's fantastic. I, I listened to this with such joy in my heart because for 38 years, as I mentioned, I've been doing mind-brain research, showing people, and I've just done a clinical trial, just done another set this last year, just showing how much when you direct your in neuroplasticity. I did some of the first work back in the 80s in neuroplasticity and traumatic brain injury and mental health over the years. They're always all different in that in that area. But just to it's so true what you're saying. We have this incredible power in our mind. We're not broken brains. We have this incredible depth in us, this tremendous wisdom. And when we use our mind, in our different, which is on different levels, to tap into the depths of our non-conscious mind, we can actually change things. So it's not our destiny to be, get stuck with a broken brain. It's not an it that needs fixing. It's actually a mind that needs changing. Yeah. And like Jeffrey Schwartz's work and some of that. He's one of my friends, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. It was huge to see all that confirmation Mm -hmm. of, oh yeah, it's not even fixing or changing as much. I mean, it does fix, it does change. The brain changes. Yeah. By understanding, you know, by like seeing, by insightfully seeing, oh, this is just my mind doing what minds do my brain doing what brains do sometimes, but seeing it from that new lens. But seeing it that the mind change, you can use the mind to change the mind to change the brain, which is so important that the brain can change, but using your mind, but you've got mind on these different levels, which is so interesting. So tell us, keep telling us about the story. Yeah. So that was one of the first big insights and it was just more about the brain side of things, but I, it, it did so much, like I said, of helping me just have compassion and realize I wasn't as hopelessly broken as I thought I was. And then I came across more of the spiritual side of things, which totally just lined up with and made all the brain stuff make so much more sense because I started to really deeply see, wow, I'm not my brain. I mean, of course I knew I wasn't my brain, but I, I had more of a felt sense of that bigger mind that we all are. Mm. And it became less even and still is about me, 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 even though I know that's what a brain and a mind is kind of conditioned to do is make it all about us in a way. But it was like, no, we're all one big mind. And when we see things like we're saying, when we see with that bigger perspective, how machinery works, how how our brain works, how all of this is playing out and we know that we're not it. And we see that in any given moment, when our, all of our chatter kind of falls quiet, we're just we're just full of everything we need. Wisdom, practical advice, like resourcefulness. We know not only like have the answers within us, but 
but if, you know, we know what to Google, I mean, we're like, just, you know, we can and live in the world in the highest possible way. When I kind of was able to back up and see that bigger, bigger spiritual essence beyond all the machinery. Yeah. It just, it, it all made sense put together and it completely changed my life in many ways, but in terms of my eating disorder, it was amazing because I had tried everything for eight years, had all these ups and downs, really extreme ups and downs. And in a really, really short period of time, I absolutely knew that I was going to be free of this. Mm. Now, my brain was still going there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I still was thinking about food and thinking all this, but it was the most fascinating thing yeah. of like hearing that and seeing that. And being able to say, oh, there goes my brain planning the next binge or planning the next purge, but I don't think I'm going to go there. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, that separation, that ability to see our experience and not be in our experience was everything. So I still, mm-hmm. I still did act on those things a bit, but it was not long before it just made no more sense. You know, I just have to tell you that scientifically, the research clinical trial I've just done literally shows that what you've just that experience that you've had, it literally shows that on a mind physiological and neurophysiological level. So we, I use QEG in my neuroscientific research because it's very accurate for in in the moment thinking, and it does it doesn't show thoughts obviously, but it shows what the brain is doing in terms of the energy. But just when when you there's a technique called the, that I call the multiple perspective advantage, and you've just described it that ability to separate, to stand back, and observe your own thinking. And then once you see that, you can actually then respond to the subconscious and the non-conscious mind. And what we picked up in the clinical trials is that that non-conscious mind, the deeper stuff, the truth, the default mode that that you also talk about, let's talk about the default mode of that we are called wired for love. You talk about that we at our core decent and there's this wisdom. But when you stand back, you start hearing, you actually can start drawing out that wisdom and you can separate out the toxic mindsets, the toxic thoughts in the unconscious from the conscious and you can start actually working in that way. But you have to get to that point where you can separate. Um, the non-conscious from the non-conscious stand back and observe your own thinking. And that's like, a, and, and we saw that mat- marrying when, the, when our subjects were doing that, we saw the changes happening in the brain and you see, literally see the neuroplasticity, you see the changes. And then when they're speaking and describing the experience, there's still the anxiety, there's still the depression, there's still, but it, it's all part of a normal experience. It's now managed experience. So what you've just described, we've literally just confirmed scientifically once again in a very, very scientific way. It's actually real. This is real what you're saying. This is not something that you just, it's not some woo-woo thing. What you've just described is a very, very real mind-brain thing that you've driven. Oh my gosh. And what I love and what you just said too, and this is, I see this with people I work with, is it's not about making something go away or stop. Mm. And that's what everybody thinks, of course. Nice. I thought, if I'm going to be free of this, these urges need to stop. They didn't stop, but I was still free of them. You managed them. Yeah, that's it. Yes. It's like to be able to watch it over here rather than here, you know, and to know that it's, it's experience. It's not your broken brain. You don't have a broken brain. You're not this, yeah, you're not a robot with a broken piece that you just have to live with and and then kind of control with the medication. You actually can stand back and observe that as an experience. I love how you said that you can observe that as an experience, but you're not controlling it. I always get the image of like people who have really large dogs and they take the dog for a walk with the dogs pulling them, you know, like they're yeah, yeah, yeah. like, that's how I felt with my brain. I think that's how most people feel like that's whatever shows up, a, 
just got to do it and to see that it isn't like that. That's such a good analogy. And then you see that dog goes through training and then they, that same person is now walking the dog, but that dog is now obeying them. They Instead of them pulling them along, the dog is now being walked as opposed to the dog walking you. That's kind of the shift that's happened with this controlling. That's amazing. So how long did that take you? You were giving us a sort of time frame. You said that for the first few years of therapy when you were giving therapy to people, you were actually practicing as a clinician. You were still battling with this. Then you had this insight when you started studying about the brain and then pieces fell into place when you started seeing the spiritual side because brain neuro, neuro reductionism, which is very much dominant in our society today and in the research since the mid-90s with the advent of technology, it all became about brain, 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 and we forgot all about the spiritual. And this is an argument I've been making for years now and writing in my books and things that you cannot focus on the brain and ignore the spiritual, which is the 99% part of us. The brain's just the 1%. And when you bring that blended connection together, it changes. Now, that's the insight that you've had. And that's what shifted you to overcome your bulimia. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it happened really quickly. So yes, for eight years of therapy and trying, but I, I mean, I want to say within a month of this insight, I was just free. And and well before that, I knew I was free, you know, like I had a few episodes, but even, even then I would have a binge and purge and think, why did I do that? I didn't have to do that. You know, it's more like just an old thing happening kind of thing. An old reflex, but I wasn't afraid of it. I wasn't holding on to it in the same way. So in many ways, it kind of went away instantly. You probably have heard me say that no diet or exercise routine will work unless you get your mind and mindset right. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. Rather, it is a tool to help you develop the right mindsets around health, fitness, and food. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and community of other Noomers, so you'll have all the support you need to empower your change. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Wow. So that's almost like for about a month and then a few weeks before. So you're looking at a kind of like, and the reason I'm asking you this is because I showed in my research that on neuroplasticity cycles work in groups of three. So we saw massive changes in the brain at day 21 and then and sustainable changes at day 63. So habit formation happens at day 63, which is nine weeks. So you're kind of describing that same sort of arc. Yes. Wow. That's giving me a lot of insights about the people I work with as well. And what I see like time spams. Yeah. Yeah. You see that. I do. I mean, because it's like people see something brand new, but I just call that insight, right? Like they just have have a deep insight. Their, their mind can't quite make sense of it yet, but they know something's shifted. But then yes, it's, it's weeks into, and then there's like a readjustment period, right? And yes. then it kind of becomes stable. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said earlier on about the fact that you didn't, it doesn't, we have this thing that you've got to, that's the message of the current 
biomedical model that it's got to go away. It's got to be eliminated with a drug. You've got to get rid of the symptom, like you have to get rid of the symptom of diabetes. Well, the, well, the, the symptom of of that of that relate to the disease of diabetes or heart. So they've lumped in the biomedical model with mind, but that's not the way mind works. It's not that you want to stamp out because that's part of your story. It's part of your experience. You said that so beautifully. So you, but you're not doing. You're not controlled by it anymore. But you still. It was part of your story. It's become your story, but that you've overcome and it's enriched you as a person. It's such a different philosophy to trying to stamp something out with a technique, the cognitive behavior therapy technique or something that just con- condition it away because you, you're not a robot. You've got this deep spiritual part of you. Yeah. I'm so and I always you. say like, I mean, that that's real freedom. Yes. When we're, you know, when we're able to feel anything, like I don't, I can have an overwhelming urge to binge eat now. I have it in years, but if one showed up, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> it's experience, you know, it's like, we don't have to walk around in fear of a feeling or a thought or any of that. That's freedom. That's amazing what you've just said. And what do you think is the biggest contribution to that freedom that you feel? So if you got the urge to binge and purge now, it doesn't, you don't feel fear. Why is that? Because I s- deeply see it as, as moving, changing, fleeting experience. I know I don't have to do anything about it. I know it's going to maybe show up and go away. Like I, I know it doesn't mean anything about me. And that's a huge thing, especially with habits and addictions. When these thoughts and feelings come back, as they sometimes do, people think, oh, maybe I'm not recovered. or you know, I, I- That's the narrative. I love what you said. That narrative is amazing because the narrative today is if it comes back, you're still sick or the sickness is coming back and then it's defined as a sickness. You have an illness. Meanwhile, you've described it as a habit that is, and you and I want to talk about habits now, how you define them because I love how you define them. You're saying that when it comes back, it's not, it doesn't control you. It's just a fleeting experience. It's not the illness coming back. It's just your experience. It's a memory. You've, you did this in the past, but you've controlled it. So it's just a little fleeting memory. It's not an illness coming back. And I'm emphasizing that because the message of today's narrative, as you know, is if people re-experience anything, it is, that is the illness coming back. You need more medication. You need another course of some externalized thing that you, you said that too. People are getting all this external 24 different therapies. They're thinking if they go and get something outside and bring it in, it's going to fix them, but it's from the inside out. Yes, yes, yes. That's the thing about not fearing it you know it's like well I, why would i fear it i don't think it means anything i don't think it means here's the illness back and all of that so that i see that with, with so good well i mean when that switch when we have that flip when it doesn't mean anything that something shows up in our experience and it's, it's that's so good that is really good okay now you wrote this book a few years ago the, the little book of change big. I love that. And you define, you go into this in a lot of depth about the things you've just been discussing and the spiritual side and that, and you define habits. So can you, you know, there's so much talk about habits and there's so many ways of defining it. And everyone knows you've got to make little changes to get the big change. And it's kind of almost over talked about, but I like your angle and I think it's very freeing. So can you define habits and how you see them and maybe link that back to your example of the eating disorder, how you saw that as a habit, because it's a totally different way of looking at eating disorders. Yeah. So I think what makes it feel like a habit is when we identify with and kind of own our experience as if it is us 
the disease, the habit, you know, when we have that umbrella, like label diagnosis thing that looks so real and solid around it. I mean, we know like our brain is habitual and, and thank God, like it keeps us alive that way. Yeah, right? yeah, so, absolutely. So stuff, stuff shows up in repetitive, habitual ways, especially stuff that we pay a lot of attention to that gets all mm-hmm. that punching, gets all those chemicals going. So of course, our experience to some extent is going to be habitual. But I think where it turns into a habit or especially like a bad habit that someone Mm -hmm. feels like they need to break is when that experience is showing up. And just like you just said, we pounce on it in a way and think, oh no, here's my habit. Oh, there's that feeling again. Oh, here it is. So it's all the narrative, 100%. The experience is habitual. We all have a million habits in terms of our experience, but it's only a bad habit that hurts us and limits our life when we have that narrative that thinks it's meaningful and that we need to now fix it and change it. Okay. So how do we deal with that then? How do we change that narrative? I think we just see that there's a narrative, honestly, from that bigger mind place. I think we just see there's a narrative. And what if there's a narrative saying it's a thing and it's solid and it's meaningful, but what if it isn't? What if there's Without a mind that's coming in labeling everything and on this linear path and telling us what's ours and what's not, there's just experience showing up moment by moment by moment, new, constant, old, habitual, whatever, but it's just experience moment to moment. And I know like from my experience with my habits, again, when, when I came in and said, oh, this means something, it's back, here it is, it just, that just is what I felt and it's what I acted on. But if it starts to look a little more like just experience always in motion, always flowing through us, always in flux, and we're, we're clinging to it less and we're not sticking it in the ground, putting labels on it, letting it be there and move through us, it does move through us. And, mm-hmm. and I'll pause in a second, but even bigger than that, as it moves through us, what I think is the most important thing about that is as experience moves through us and we're not in there grabbing it and owning it we get to feel into something far bigger, which is our spiritual essence, which is who we really are, which is like we said, those insights where you're watching experience take place, but you're not worried about it and not needing to change it. That's fantastic. Okay, so now let's relate that in a almost a practical way. That's how you, within that month period or that few week period, month to maybe seven weeks or so, you've managed to actually get set free from the bulimia, which eight years and 24 therapies or whatever later, you didn't, hadn't done anything except maybe reinforce that there's something wrong with you and that why don't these things work, which put you in a really bad place. And then you got this insight and there was a shift. That's, so then did, did, was it an, almost overnight that you stopped the bulimia? What did that look like? It wow. looked different overnight, but again, the the behavioral pieces and all of that, yes. a little bit to catch up and to catch on and, you know, but I, yeah, it was... It was very, very quick where it just looked different, where I saw it as experience that didn't mean so much about me. Okay, so you distinguish between mental habits and behavioral habits, which is really good. It's the first time I've really seen people make that dis- such a clear distinction. So in terms of what you also said in your experience, now mentally there was a shift. So your mental habits started getting, you say, managed to separate and realize it's an experience. And then you still had to use that experience to change the behavior. So the behavior was kind of lagging a little bit behind. Because I'm thinking of the listeners now, they're thinking, okay, but did you still binge and purge? And how long did that stop? And so you, if you can make that distinction, 
I think it's a huge point because the thing is when, even though I did still binge and purge a couple times after my insight, it honestly didn't matter. Ah. There, there was nothing in that, that like my mind knew that it wasn't me, that it was just this behavioral thing kind of, kind of still playing itself out, but was going to be gone soon. I don't know how mm. I knew that. I really knew that. I just saw, I don't have to do this anymore. So and I think that is so big because again, like, like we said, when a thought comes back or for sure when a behavior comes back, when someone falls off the wagon, they're like, oh, see, I knew it. I knew I couldn't be free. I knew it couldn't be this and easy. And that chains them back in. They go right back to the beginning. No, you don't have to say that. But not at all. I mean, it, the, the metaphor I use for this, I love this. I didn't come up with it, but I heard this somewhere, like if you live, imagine you live in a house for 20 years yeah. and then you move across town and you're leaving work and you got a lot on your mind and you're busy, no question, like it's probably pretty likely that you might just mindlessly drive back to your old house yes. in that first week, right? Like, no, you don't sit in the driveway and say, well, I, I came to the, I guess I'm meant to live here forever. I should have never moved. This is my house. Like, no, you just laugh at yourself. Exactly. You see that, oh, I know where I live. But my body, you know, just drove me here and you just, it's no big deal. And why wouldn't our habits and addictions be the same way? We have so much just that happens through us just mechanically, you know, those, those yeah. habits get to be so strong. But I think it, I think it's just the most normal thing in the world that we kind of fall back and fall in, you know, and go back to old stuff. But if that looks like it means something, we're going to be in trouble. If it doesn't, we're not. And in fact, I think it's almost beneficial sometimes. I see when people have a slip up, uh, you know, they learn from it. They're like, oh yeah, I don't do this anymore. It could, it could take them even further ahead, you know, to even more insight. So That's brilliant. It's a complete reconceptualization of the concept. And part of the principles that I teach in my work is you've got to embrace process and reconceptualize. And what you've just done is you've completely reconceptualized the whole concept of if people fall back into those toxic habits, whatever they are, it's an experience and not to be fearful of them because it's the fear and that will keep them stuck. From a scientific perspective, thoughts the mind moves through the brain and you know this very well and then the brain responds and then we know I've done memory research for years as well so how thoughts actually physically build in the brain so then you get a physical protein structure genetically things happen so as you're thinking you cause genetic expression and you build these little thoughts into the tubulin as in the little microcomputers as vibration it's real they're a real thought but they've got to stay alive with energy so if you if they come back it's like watering a plant they have to be watered so if you come back and you see that as a terrible thing and you Put all that energy onto this is back and I'm bad. It's 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 the illness coming back or I haven't conquered it and I'm stuck again and I'm going back to ground zero and whatever. You then shift all the energy from the reconceptualize I've overcome and I've got a new way of functioning back to this old thing. You regrow something that actually was dead, but it's just got a little. There's it's still part of your experience, so it's still there. So we see in the brain you actually and we saw this with this research that when you shift your energy from energy is never lost. So to keep those thoughts alive. They require energy. It's a vibrational energy within physical protein structures called tubulin. And when you stop thinking about it, or not thinking, when you manage it, stop thinking, always thinking, when you manage it in the way that you've beautifully described, you actually remove the energy from it so that it, it, it doesn't have 
it's not strong anymore. It's this little weak. It's just part of your experiential, goes into the experiential thing and you've transferred the energy to the new way of functioning. So when it does come back, it's because as you keep saying, it's part of your experience. So you're just having a glance and a, and a little re-experience, but it doesn't own you. It's such a different picture to having with the current narrative is that you've this is a pattern that's fixed in your brain. You can't change it. It has to be eliminated. And if it isn't eliminated, it's it means you're still sick and, oh, it's back again and this big violent. It's not. It's just a little thing that got a bit of energy and you can take that energy back and put it in the right direction because no energy in it won't control. You know, so there's a shift and we saw that actually happening in people's experience over time. It just, it makes so much sense. I love hearing because I know, I know everything you're saying is the case, but I don't, I don't study the science that much, but I love just knowing that, yes, it just makes so much sense. And there's physical scientific evidence for all of it. Exactly. But you say it so beautifully and you've experienced it in your own life. And I think as people are listening, they, they are, you freeing people because it's to, it's those habits because most people, I don't know if you're from your experience, from my experience, people say, but it keeps coming back. And there's such a fear around that re-experience and the narrative of once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, once an addict. I hate that. It's so, it's so unscientific and so untrue because then you, all your attention is around, I've got to keep fighting. So there's that constant stress that your body's under and your mind is under. And that's the thing about willpower, right? Like, yes, talk about that. Yeah, like willpower can be great at times when we need it for little bursts. But when people try to break habits or end addictions or something like that with willpower, it's doing exactly what you're saying. It's keeping the energy on the thinking there. It wants to fall away. Like the energy wants to shift. But it's us purposely bringing the energy back and saying, don't think that, think this instead, or don't do that, do this Mm -hmm. instead. And it just has that feeling, you know, of just energizing what naturally just wants to fall away and shift. So it's so ironic, you know, that, that we, I mean, it makes sense given what we think about how change works and what, you know, like you said about, it's always about extinguishing and making this whole way. It's our powerful way of trying to make change happen. But when we just look at it in a bigger sense of like all of this energy is just always in motion. It's not wrong. It's just doing what it needs to do. And we can remove even the willpower and all of that. Oh my gosh, everything gets so much easier. I've always believed retail therapy is one of the best types of therapy. And recently I discovered Jenny Kane and cannot stop raving about this brand. Jenny Kane offers comfortable, cozy and elegant items for your home and wardrobe. From wardrobe essentials to everything that makes your space feel like home, you'll find timeless pieces designed to stand the test of time. I recently got the Fisherman Cashmere sweater and absolutely love it. It goes with everything and is very comfortable. It's perfect for four. Jenny Kane also has some of the most beautiful mules in leather, suede and more. They are simple, elegant and endlessly versatile. Jenny Kane items also make perfect holiday and birthday gifts. Make getting dressed the easiest part of your routine at JennyKane.com and get 20% off your first order when you use the code DrLeaf at checkout. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-A-N-E.com, promo code DrLeaf. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. So different, and it's you, you. So you're constantly updating your experience. And in quantum physics, which is an area that also working to explain my work, is they talk about it's you constantly updating as the observer. You can't. So every experience is an update on the previous experience. So when you said learn from, when you tell your 
your your patients to learn from that that or anyone who's listening if you fall back you're learning from that but you're updating and your update is that you don't need to give it energy you need to give the new reconceptualized thought let that have all the energy that's just part of your story that you've overcome it's a whole different updating isn't it yeah and and i love how you explained about the willpower that it's because it's forceful isn't it the willpower is energy consuming so instead of one going and becoming just energy you've got two very strong competing i mustn't do this i mustn't do this i must do this i must do this is very stressful we see that a lot of creates a lot of high beta in the brain and learning in the brain and you're learning the wrong thing you actually just reinforce and it's very ironic that people try to use willpower at their weakest moment because it does take so much energy, right? So it's like in the middle of an urge to binge eat or drink or whatever people do, they're supposed to now come in and overpower that urge that's already depleting them, that's already taking so much energy, you know? Wow. So that piece as well, it was just like, wow, this doesn't make any sense. Not only is willpower not a good long-term strategy, but Mm-mm. we can't even use it when we have no resources. That's the last time it's going to be helpful. Yeah. So to talk, talk a bit more about that. Talk about then what should people do in that moment, in that most, in that moment where you've been, we've been so conditioned by the therapies and the cognitive behavior therapy and the narrative, neuroreductionistic narrative that you, and the happiness movement, willpower, willpower. What is the alternative narrative? For me, it's, it's tough to do much in the moment because in the moment, again, is when our mind, like everything is just busy and cloudy and we aren't seeing straight. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we are a little hijacked by our thinking. Exactly. We're not seeing straight. Exactly. So when people ask, and they do all the time, of course, because that's how we've been kind of trained. It's like, yeah, yeah. do a moment to make it go away. For me, it's like, I don't know. I don't want to give you a job to do in that moment. Of all moments, I'm not going to give you a job to do to, that's going to take up more energy that you're supposed to remember this thing. Oh, gosh. So what a great idea. Yeah. I mean, great way explaining it. Yeah. So it looks more to me, and again, I'd love to hear what you think about this, but it looks more to me like it's the insights beforehand. It's the exploration of this, like seeing, because I know when I saw like, oh, it's all experience. It's all, it's, it's all going to move through me. That energy is always going to fluctuate. I never have to step in and make energy fluctuate. I don't know how to do that. Mm-mm. It just does it by nature. Yeah. Then it just allowed me to just feel more, just to kind of let go even more. So it became about like non-interference more than stepping in and doing something. And, and also this piece about, there's just so backwards from how we have it in life that the worse I feel the more that's inviting me to just take my hands off the wheel and just let everything kind of move through and reset. And that's, you know, what do we do in life? When we feel bad, we humans in any way step in and do something. We're going to fix this. So we're going to, we're going to find the cause, the out there outside cause of our feeling bad and we're going to change it. And it never, it doesn't work that way. All we're feeling is our own experience and it's going to change anyway. So it's long answer, but, but, the in the moment thing, I always think it's not, it's not an in the moment strategy. It's a, it's a bigger understanding. And as people wake up to this bigger truth about how we work and how it all changes, they just ask that in the moment question less and less because they feel bad and they know it just that everything's going to move through. You've said it so beautifully and on a scientific level, something I used to, this is some of the techniques, well not, let's get away from the word techniques, processes. When you embrace something, which is what you're saying, embrace the moment. And when you even celebrate that moment, I always tell people celebrate what you're feeling, even if it's terrible, because the minute you celebrate something, 
It, you're not celebrating the issue, you're celebrating the fact that you're aware of it. And awareness weakens something. So as soon as you are aware, so the neuroscience shows that as soon as you're aware of a thought, as soon as it's moved from the non-conscious, which is different to the unconscious, I teach on the non-conscious mind, subconscious and conscious mind. The unconscious mind is when you have an anesthetic or you knocked out with a baseball. That's a whole different, but the non-conscious mind is the deep stuff you're talking about, that spiritual part of us, where the wisdom resides, where our truth is, where we can get access to the global mind, which can call, as you say, I mean, I talk about godness, or you can talk about whatever, non-physical, whatever name you call it, there's wisdom out there. Quantum physicists have shown mathematically that we immersed in gravitational fields and those have the values of love and joy and peace and all that good stuff. And we we have access to that wisdom. It's in us. And when we get into that calm down moment, even if you feel like you're freaking out, I talk about freaking out in the love zone. Even when you're in that free, that freaking out moment, you can freak out in the love zone, which means you can allow it to come up, cry the tears, express it. As you keep saying so beautifully, experience that. And that allows your brain a chance to actually adjust the energy levels, adjust the chemicals. And in that, especially the first 30 to 90 seconds, you're not clear in any kind of wisdom. So you should not make any decisions or react if you possibly can. Obviously, if you're driving a car, it's a different story. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about those emotional things. So it's to definitely allow yourself to go through that process where your brain and energy calms down. And then you can start accessing the wisdom of the non-conscious mind. So we saw in our neuroscientific studies that when you get into that, when you allow this celebration, this embracing stuff, this process, before you even process, you actually allow the alpha bridge to increase. When alpha increases the energy that your brain is giving off, you can access the deep spiritual wisdom. But if it doesn't, you don't get access to that insight that you talk about. So you use the word insight. You won't get access to it when our mind is all chaotic and crazy. So, but you can have a chaotic and crazy mind that is in the love zone and you can get access to that wisdom. I can be crying, screaming, whatever, but there's, an, there's a level of insight I'm digging. I'm starting to get to the point where I can start knowing what the next move is. And that's very freeing. I think that's what you're talking about. Totally. And I love <laughs> It sounds so paradoxical. People say, it does. and we do, we talk about it as a, like you're either, I talk about it as like, you're either in your head or you're in the bigger wisdom, but it's not, yeah, it's or, I mean, sometimes it is, you're so in your head, like you said, you can't you block. anything, you, mm-hmm. but, but I love when we get to move into that space where it's both, we can be feeling anything. Yeah. Like you said, screaming, cry. I mean, how often have I like yelled at my husband and in the back of my mind thinking, why am I picking a fight Doing this. right now? <laughs> Exactly. Oh, yes. Like it's both. They're both there. It's it's amazing. Yeah, we can be in both those states at the same time, which is incredible. Well, you also talk about what are some of the most common, I mean, I've got some questions up here I want to ask you, specific ones related to what we're talking about. What are some of the most common traps or mistakes that people fall into in trying to change a bad habit or build a new habit? I think the one of the most fun, I mean, for sure, everything we're saying, which is experience comes through and they try to push it away, will it away, numb it away. Like they're just, what that all comes down to is just being afraid of our experience, not understanding that experience is safe and it's going to just move right through us. So any way that we jump in and step in and, and also part of that is, you know, a huge like early conversation that I think is so helpful is seeing that these problems and issues, like, yes, they create problems and issues in our lives for sure. And in our health and all of that, but in and of themselves, it's 
like kind of what I saw. Like I just, I kind of taught my brain to do this innocently. I didn't mean to, I didn't do it on purpose, but it's still, we're still okay. We're not broken. We just need to understand what's going on and how we're working rather than say, no, this is a problem and this must stop. I love that. That's so incredible. We see from our from the research that I've done that when your your non-conscious mind is active 24-7, it's really fast. It's your spiritual, non-physical. You talk about the non-physical, the spiritual. This is what I'm talking about. We'll pick up on the QEEG, the truth of what you're feeling before your conscious mind is aware of it. So there's your truth. We'll, so you very often, because we kid ourselves, you know, we say things that we have got to do this. But deep down inside, you actually know, and you said that earlier on, you know that, okay, listen, just relax a bit with us, just accept this view, it's not that bad or whatever, whatever it is. But the truth is there, but we have this almost conflict between what we're consciously telling ourselves and what we know to be truth. And that's always trying to teach people with my with, with the work I do is you've got to get into that state where you can actually hear the truth that's inside of you. And then you can deal with those, which I think is exactly what you're saying. Even just knowing that there's a truth that's always there and that's wiser and that we can trust. And then our mind is like a step behind. It's lagging behind. Yes, yes. It interprets and gives explanations. Conscious, yeah. And the, and the research on like, you know, we, we choose, we make choices and then our mind comes in milliseconds later and says, oh, I chose yeah. this because, which is ridiculous. We, we were choosing it before it was already, the explanation. Yeah, the intelligence is already happening before you're consciously aware. So you're consciously aware the intelligence is already happening. And that's how we need to have that insight. Amazing. I mean, and just that, just knowing that that works, I think it's just so hopeful and helpful for people because it starts to take our our emphasis off all the stuff our, our mind is saying all the time. Mm-hmm. Not that we need to ignore that or anything, but we... No, we it's insightful. It. Yeah, we don't want to hang on it as if everything no. that comes through our mind is the truth. And so it, yeah. it starts to shine, you know, put a little suspicion on it, which is super helpful. That's very good. Put a little suspicion. Question, question what your conscious mind is telling you. That's what you're saying. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, I agree totally with that. Now, Okay, so how can a friend or a parent or a partner help someone who's trying to change? How can you help someone? The more us as friends and parents and partners can see the health in them, the more it's, and it's hard sometimes, you know, you have a family with an addiction, of course, you see the destruction and the suffering and the pain, but the more that we can see the health, even when we can't see the health. So it's bigger. It's about knowing what's true of all humans and that this person is only drinking or eating or whatever they're doing because they're hurting. And in their brain, it's the best way they can see to, to numb that feeling because they're afraid of their experience and they don't want to feel it. It's never because they're wrong or they want to be doing this that kills me or that, you know, you're self-sabotaging or why are you ruining your family? They're doing it because they're hurting and they don't see a better way. That's really good. Talk about that a little bit more because you talk about how a habit is it starts off to 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 deal with the uh, the pain. And I mean, I totally agree with that. That's how I see addiction. I don't see addiction as a toxic thing because addiction means to be consumed by. So we designed to be consumed by healthy stuff. So when things aren't quite right, we develop these behavior patterns to help us cope. Can you talk a little bit? Yeah, which which even that the fact that we develop these behavior pattern patterns to help us cope speaks to our health. Because when we don't feel well, we know that's not okay. <laughs> like, you know, we know that's not us. We don't want to hang out in not feeling well. We, we will do anything we can to get closer to home. 
feel more like ourselves? Mm. And do we find things that are unhealthy and then become addicted or consumed in them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know, it all it all is coming from our desire to just feel closer to home and to feel better. So, and I think that's just so important for people to see because you know, like this, so quickly, like you were saying, the societal narratives about all this just make it our fault. Whether they say that explicitly or not, they, they blame the person who's in the addiction and it's just... So to pick up on helping with this philosophy, if you approach a person with what, what you and I have just both said now, then how can you help the person without enabling them? What do you do? What, can you be a bit more... Can you be specific around maybe just a technique or two or... Not a technique. I don't like... I see you don't like words like techniques like me. What can you do for that family member? For me, it's all about exploring who we really are and how our experience works. It's just a a series of conversations and exploration and, hey, I know it looks like you're broken. I know this looks like a problem we have to do something to solve, but what if? You know, what if, what if it actually is happening this way? What if everything in you is super healthy, but you feel something, there's some experience moving through you that you just don't feel like you can handle? What's that about? Like, what if all experience is safe? What if all experience moves through? And that's just what I've seen is like just having these kind of deep conversations when people are willing to set aside every, and it's hard, you know, like mm-hmm. people don't change their mind and open their mind. It is not easy. I respect it so much when mm-hmm. people do it, but for them to set aside everything they've been told and taught and look in a different direction and say, to say, what if you're healthy and your experience is not what it appears to be? And and I just, people start to have insights and it starts mm. building. So would that be a question that one could prompt that kind of discussion with and then just listen and let the person talk? Yeah, so, because, you know, like people are so wise. Like you said, like- Yeah, and, and they the are. That's they are. The more all that wisdom just comes out. So I think people- know for sure we know way more than we think we know about what we need and what's true of us that's so brilliant that's so helpful hopeful and utterly brilliant and i'm thrilled that you've said what you've said because i think it's tremendously freeing and it takes all that scary work and it's so hard and it's never going to be achievable you're taking it away and you're saying okay let's just experience let's just what if that is an experience what is it telling you how can let's just talk about it's it's flowing through you. It's what you're going through at the moment. So have I understood you correctly? Is that the correct? And it never looks like enough. You know, again, I just feel like we're so conditioned to like, what's mm-hmm. what are the steps? What's the tool? What's the technique? How is this going to work? And, you know, you, from a scientific perspective, can mm-hmm. say exactly how this works. All I know is, well, I mean, really, like from a very practical, like just no, that's really good, though. intuitive perspective is, hey, I can tell you when I talk with people, I've talked with thousands of them and we explore this and we look at what if it actually works this way. They have insights, tons of them along the way. And those just keep getting deeper and deeper for them. I think we're, we're so much closer to health than we even think we are. Wow. Much. That is beautiful. We're so much closer to health than we actually realize that we are. And we've put almost like roadblocks that you could go through all these hoops, you know, all these hurdles to get to. Meanwhile, just don't see those hurdles, just experience, go with the flow. So what is this experience telling you? What if this is just an experience that you're going through? That's that's amazing. Oh, I love it. I love this. I totally agree with you. I, this is how I understand the mind to work. So I am all for what you said. It's so hopeful. There's so much hope that we can. I think we've made things so much harder than what they are and what they should be. 
And it doesn't mean that life's, we're not saying life's a walk in the park. It's terribly difficult. But we've made the getting through life so much harder, I think, than what we could. There's so much truth inside of ourselves and wisdom. And so much more complicated than it is. I mean, there's so much complexity in biology and in the mm. world and all the form, all the physicalness is so complex in an amazing way. But we as as part of nature, as like this bigger essence, we're super simple. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. simple and, and it's hard yeah. for us to see it that way, but it's so simple. Simple and brilliant. It's almost like the day that we started needing nutritionists to tell us how to eat is the day that we really messed up food. It's the most logical, natural thing to eat healthy food if we actually go back to basics. Same thing with our mind. It's there. But sometimes we just need, you know, we need each other just to maybe prompt us to experience these things more. This is beautiful. How can people get a hold of you and know more about you? And we'll put obviously put all these links in the show notes. Yeah, my website is dramyjohnson.com. It's just Dr. Amy Johnson. And there's lots of stuff there. I have a podcast. I have an online school where I walk people through this to help them with habits. Yeah, so there's lots of stuff there. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really lovely, deep, exciting conversation. And I really thank you for your insight and your wisdom. Thank you so much. I, I love, I love talking with you. I love it too. We'll have to do this again, for sure. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.